Every day is a brand new adventure. So let's embark on this journey together. City News 570 presents Kitchener Today. City News 570. I'm Larry Fedorik. And uh, if you hear, I'm guest hosting today, which, by the way, is new for me. I've been a host. I've been a guest. And I think this is a first for me where I'm a guest host. So I'm not uh, not sure what that's going to entail here. It's like I'm the guest, so I get to enjoy myself here. But I'm also the host. So at times I might have to... Um, you know, serve drinks and refill the chip bowl, which I'm quite willing to do over uh, Kitchener today here. We're going to be around till three o'clock. Want to hear from you. We're going to talk to a lot of interesting people about a lot of interesting things. Just as an update, if you do hear the um, the squeaks and the things, that's rust. That's, that's rust coming from me. The last... Uh, talk show I did on radio was November of 2019. And uh, what I planned at that time was kind of take Christmas off, maybe even Jan, Feb, you know, dark days of winter, nothing happening. And then March of 2020, I'm just going to jump right back in and attack the job market and the, and the, the media business again. And then March of 2020, Something happened, if you recall, uh, which kind of uh, uh, laid the plans of a lot of different people. And I remember because we were talking about this recently, the anniversary passed just recently, uh, March 11th, of the WHO announcing that uh, this was a global pandemic, that this coronavirus now called COVID that we were all trying to get used to uh, saying, you know, and learning. Uh, had become a global pandemic. And a lot of people went on that date. I remember this. A lot of people went, well, this is serious. I'm going to think about this, figure out what's going on. How big is this? And then the very next day, the NBA canceled games and people went, oh, I guess this is serious. I mean, the NBA, they don't mess around. Okay, the World Health Organization, they're pretty big, but the NBA is canceling games. What is this? And and then we all know how quickly the world changed uh, after that. And uh, it's, it's, it's been a couple of years. I have, I have been in the last couple of years, 28 months, almost to the day, actually, uh, been behind the microphone or in front of the microphone or whatever you want to call it. It's in the vicinity of a microphone. I've been there because I've done a couple of podcasts. One was a podcast called I Was Eight, a storytelling podcast. And I'm just going to plug this quickly because it won uh, the Canadian Podcast Award for Best Personal Series. So I was very proud of that. And then kind of morphed it into a podcast I do now called, uh, it's a weekly called Later That Same Life. And it's wherever you get your podcasts. I also have a YouTube channel. And I bring that up, well, to plug it, honestly, you know. But also to say that this, later that same life podcast is closer to the talk shows that I used to do, the radio talk shows. So it's been great fun for me there uh, to be able to talk about some of the issues of the day and stories and things like that. Today, this microphone that I'm behind or in front of, 
uh, lucky enough to be plugged in to City News 570 Kitchener for Kitchener Today as I guest host today and thrilled to be asked and thrilled to be here. I will say, and you'll hear them again, that we're going to be talking to a few people, but I but I want to give you the numbers because we do want to hear from you throughout the afternoon as well at 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715, that is, of course, toll-free, also star 570 on your cell, and we will repeat those numbers as we ask for your contributions to the program. Part of the intro, too, Uh, talking about COVID, because on the City News 570 News this morning, I heard a reference to today uh, being maskless Monday. And I, I love that phrase. It sounds almost like the promotion at your local pub, you know, maskless Monday today, don't wear a mask, two for one appetizers, you know, and and it's it's the first day in, um, well, I guess a couple of years now, approximately, where mask mandates have been dropped. Um, a couple of weeks ago, satirically, I mentioned that if Vladimir Putin has done anything, he's made COVID go away. And I meant that from an information sense, where our focus was elsewhere. And let's face it, we're all just fed up and tired of this thing anyway. So we were ready to focus on something else, albeit this is a terrible thing that we're watching in Ukraine. But COVID kind of went away. And it's been back these last couple of days as mandates are dropped. And I'm sure we're all looking forward to a different kind of summer this year. And that's kind of where I want to start today. And we welcome Dr. Nicola Mercer. She is Chief Medical Officer of Health for Wellington, Dufferin Guelph Public Health. And joins us now, Dr. Mercer. Hello. Hello. I was going to say, though, that uh, I think I would like to call it Mask Choice Monday, not Maskless. Isn't that interesting? Because I am I am just a uh, and have been a poster boy for COVID over these two years, masking, distancing, self-isolation. I, I didn't get a haircut for 19 months. I mean, you know, essential trips only, things like that. Uh, what do you feel is going to be the choice, by the way? where, uh, In other words, where are we here? Do you feel, number one, from a health standpoint, but number two, from a public attitude standpoint? Well, I, I mentioned the word choice because rather than mask less, because I think people now have a choice. And I think we need to respect the choice of others. But as people make that choice, I think it's really helpful for them to just to have some information to help guide them as they try to make choices, because people do want to make the best choice. Um, I know that a lot of people are nervous. You know, there are people in both camps on this, people who are very strong, can't wait to get my mask off, and people who are really strong, why are we taking the mask off? So I, I think that this is a challenging issue, and probably almost everything I say is going to uh, you know, bother somebody in one of the two camps. Uh, but as we make those choices, I think it's very important to recognize that not everybody falls in the same camp in terms of their risk. And uh, people don't know, what, well, what does that mean, I'm, you know, risk for me? Um, so really, I, I don't know how, how old you are, but uh, if you're over the age of 50 or if you have a immunocompromise, then probably this is a conversation for you. Well, I, I am over the age of 50. Let's leave it there. Uh, <laughs> okay. But uh, what I'm, one of the things I'm worried about in this 
mask mandates is now we have we've gone from one rule to hundreds of rules. So it's you know you wear a mask on transit, but at this place you don't have to. This is optional. This is optional. Are, are, are we not better off just having one blanket rule, mask, no mask? And now, you know, individual businesses are going to have to try to enforce these things. And it just seems like it's going to, it might get a little messier than it's been. Well, it, what you're saying is absolutely true. I think, though, that uh, from a, an overall public perspective, I think there was a lot of pressure to to prove to us that masks work. We don't want to wear a mask. Um, I, I think, though, that there are a few points that we should just hang our hat on that are, are truthful. First of all, the virus hasn't gone away, so it's still there. And so it's still circulating in the, the BA2, which is a little bit more infectious, uh, and the Omicron sort of hyped up, it's a little bit more infectious, so you can still get it. Um, if you are over the age of 50, getting it um, is probably worse for you than if you're under 50. If you haven't had your booster dose, meaning two doses plus the, the third booster dose, you're definitely more at risk. So we encourage everyone to, if you haven't had it and you're really welcoming taking your mask off, do the right thing, get the booster dose. That will protect you even more. And we've had lots of people who've had COVID, lots and lots of people who've had COVID. So that is somewhat a help because lots of people have natural infection. But even if you've had COVID, get that booster dose, you know, protect all of us by keeping this virus at bay. So lots of things that we we know. We know that wearing a medical mask, a good quality, good fitting medical mask, does protect the wearer better than a cloth mask. So if you're worried and you want to protect yourself, protect others around you, you know, find and wear a medical mask that actually is, is better than a cloth mask. How close am I who's uh, twice vaccinated and boosted, how close am I to a fourth shot or another booster? Yeah, this is this is a great question. I, I don't have the exact answer, but I'm going to give you an, uh, an approximation. So we know that vaccines do wear off. Um, when I say wear off, I don't mean that you lose all of the benefits, um, meaning like the really good benefits, like keeping you out of hospital and keeping you from dying. Um, but sometimes the benefits of getting sick start to wear off. So we believe that there will be a need for booster doses this fall, likely as we head indoors, similar to the concept of we all get a flu shot. I also know, though, that there's a really need for a longer-lasting vaccine. And so that's sort of in the future as vaccine manufacturers start to look at what can we do to make the vaccines last longer, what can we do to make them cover more variants. That That's a you know something I don't have the answer for, but people smarter than me about vaccines are, are actually looking at that and trying to, to come to a better solution. But for this fall coming up, I think that we should all assume that there will be um, another booster dose offered to us. And I would just like to encourage everyone, you know, not just if you don't think it's important for you to protect yourself, take the booster dose to protect other people. If you're over 50, if you have any medical conditions, or if somebody around you, somebody in your own family is over 50 or has medical conditions, take the booster for them. And so that, I think, is coming when right. in the fall is a bit of a question, but generally we offer flu shots starting October. Uh, whether we'll have something earlier, I, I don't have that answer yet. Uh, Dr. Nicola Mercer with us, uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health for uh, Wellington, Dufferin, Guelph Public Health. 
doctor, these sound like the same rules I've been hearing for a couple of years and they're good rules. And I, I've, I have followed them. I will tell you this. I'm proud of that, but it, it just sounds like we're just, we just keep going. In other words, this is not spring, summer, and that's the end of it. Yeah. I think the word is transition. So um, okay. what we're, we're seeing is that we're starting to transition to a little bit of a different state. And, and the reason why we're transitioning is because so many people have been vaccinated, good thing, and so many people have had COVID. Maybe not such a good thing, but also adds to the population immunity. And nobody that's alive today really has any experience living through a pandemic. And so we're, we're looking historically, but we also are looking at what we know the science is telling us. So it, it's not going away fast. I think we'd all like that. I wish I could, I wish I could say it was, but it, it's not. Um, so we are moving from how do we uh, have these rules which keep us all safe to how do I make personal health choices that keep me and my family safe. Um, and of course, we can always go back to the more strict rules, which nobody wants to, and I certainly don't want to, um, but that's sort of in our, our back pocket. But as we look forward to the, the summer, I think it's going to feel different. It, it's just going to feel so much better. And, and, you know, people, if you're in an outdoor environment and you're able to, you know, be outside and maybe not be really close to people, yeah, take your mask off. It's probably quite safe, especially if you're in a low-risk group and you're in an outdoor uh, barbecue. If you're in a more of a closed setting and you are in a risk group, um, then, you know, it's, it's up to you now to protect yourself, wear a, a well-fitting medical mask, and, of course, make sure you've had your booster. I, I, I got to tell you, when, I, when I'm in the grocery store and it's busy and I've got the mask on, when I get out into the parking lot and there's nobody around me, that first breath of air without the mask is like, this. you know, it, it, you get into these little things you suddenly enjoy. This is suddenly a moment. I can breathe without a mask for a second here. Are, are we not better off, though, uh, like you said, bring restrictions back? And I, I've heard that, and I guess it is on the table, but... Um, that's going to be tough. Aren't we better off maybe, as some have said, keeping these on till April, maybe the beginning of May, rather than saying, all right, mask mandates have dropped, this and that, and then suddenly we got to put everything back, and I hope we don't. But what if we do? That's going to be tougher, is it not? Well, I think that the root question is, what will be different um, a few weeks from now or a month or two from now? Like, what would be different? Um, but in terms of when we choose to take the mask off. And it doesn't matter what date you pick, there is still going to be um, COVID out there. Um, so that makes it a bit challenging for to say, okay, when now or when later. So I, I think that there isn't a perfect time. There's just a time. And this, this date has been chosen for us and we're working our way through. But everybody's still has the ability, if you feel safer, please wear a medical-grade mask if you're at a high-risk group, and please make sure you've had that third dose. Um, and there will be a fourth dose for, for you and for others. Mm-hmm. It will be out there for us in the future. Because the one thing that we have learned about this pandemic, which I think people really do forget, is that the mRNA technology, which we had, it really changed things. Like, vaccines mm-hmm. do work. And I, th- I think we just forget how significant and historic and scientific uh, this, this, this whole vaccine, which is not available to us 
you know, two years ago, and now we have mRNA vaccines. They work. They save countless lives, lives that we don't even know were saved. And so it's changed the whole trajectory of the pandemic. It's not great. It hasn't been perfect, but it has right, been better. Right. I'm, I'm personally fully prepared to get a vaccine every year if, if you know, for the rest of my life, is, and uh, as long as it takes, and that's part of my life, I'm, you know, I'm a, uh, I get the flu vax. I mean, I mean, I'm all good with that. Uh, lastly, Dr. Mercer, um, in Waterloo region, they've stopped doing or have now begun to uh, stop, begun to stop, I'm sorry, doing the weekly updates. And I think there's a lot of that now. How, where do you stand on that? Um, should we be continuing to do those or just sort of let it slide out of the, the information flow? Well, I think sometimes the updates, if they're saying the same thing week after week, then people stop paying any attention to it. So our website is updated daily, and we continue to have information on our website, as does the region of Waterloo. So I, it's it's available. We're not we're not hiding it. But I think as we start to step back from our emergency position, as we step back, we call it IMS in the health unit world or in the municipal world. That's how we've been working. Um, and if we start to step back to a more normal, uh, the daily updates, weekly updates that we've been doing uh, become less relevant because things aren't changing as much. If something changes, then I think it's important to go back to it. Thank you so much, Dr. Mercer. Stay well. I appreciate your time today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure as always. Dr. Nicola Mercer is Chief Medical Officer of Health for Wellington Dufferin Guelph Public Health. And uh, I like her idea of a mask choice Monday, which, by the way, uh, now in Ontario is followed by mask choice Tuesday and mask choice Wednesday and mask choice there, so on. Um, and here we are. How long will this last? You know, hopefully it just gets better and better. One of the, one of the things Dr. Mercer said, I, I don't know if she intended it to sound the way it did, but she said that there is no one alive today that knows what it's like to live through a pandemic. And that's actually very uh, telling of the tragedy, the, the, the tragedies that we've had over the last couple of years, and certainly going back the hundred years to the, uh, the so-called Spanish flu uh, pandemic. Uh, l- let's get some of your ideas on this. We're going to take a short break and then come back uh, uh, with a little, just a little bit more about this new update on COVID here. And uh, we'd love to hear from you as well at 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715, star 570 on your cell phone. I'm Larry Fedorik. Guest hosting today on Kitchener Today on City News 570. And your guest host today, me, Larry Fedorik, and uh, we are looking at uh, what I heard this morning on City News as a maskless Monday. It was just kind of a reference to our first day of no mask mandates and what our last guest said, uh, Dr. Nicola Mercer, was a mask choice Monday. So it's just now that we have more choice. And uh, I mentioned off the top of the program near uh, noon that I have been a poster boy for COVID. And uh, let me add, I'm a Canadian hero. Uh, well, okay, there are millions of us. And there are millions of us who have been very, and continue to be, I think, very attentive to this uh, 
this this amazing medical crisis, this amazing pandemic, this this thing that has happened to us for these last couple of years. Uh, literally a couple of years. I mean, as I mentioned, I think the the we started to hear February of 2020, this coronavirus, this was happening, but we'll keep an eye on it. You know, as I mentioned, I think it was March 11th, 2020, that the uh, World Health Organization said, yes, absolutely. This is a global pandemic. And, you know, I'm not going to go on about how our lives have changed. We all know that. But there have been many of us that have been very attentive to this over these last couple of years. And 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 proud of it. I mean, I'm I'm proud of it. I I didn't know what else I could do, uh, but I thought I can do at least this. I can do as as asked, as kind of I perceived it to be. What my contribution to the ongoing health of uh, myself and and those around me. Here's what I can do. Uh, boy, we are all, and this is my only fear, because we are all ready for this to go away. We all, I think most of us realize it's not going away. It's just going to be with us for the rest of our lives. Uh, it's just, we we don't want it to be uh, that bad. Uh, I, I talked about what kind of summer it's going to be. We'll talk about that from a weather point of view next hour. And coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about the CP rail strike and how it might affect you, the global supply chain, inflation, so on and so forth here on City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener Today. I'm your guest host for today, Larry Fedorik. Uh, great to be here. At the beginning of the show, we talked about uh, COVID and the news today, as you just heard, and kind of looking forward to what kind of summer it's going to be. I think a lot of people, myself included in this, who I, uh, really, if you remember March 2020, there was a there was a break in the summer, May, June. We said, okay, we think we got this. That was May of 2020. And we 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 kind of went, okay. And I, I I remember getting out a little bit in the summer and thinking, all right. And then that stopped. And, you know, when, as I said, I'm not going to recount the whole history, but we, most of us, I think, feel like we've lost a couple of summers. And I'm going to sense that this is going to be the summer of, of a lot of us trying to just get back to normal. To that, I want to talk to the Weather Network. We're going to do that just after one o'clock, if you can stick around or come back. Uh, we're going to talk to the Weather Network about... Uh, spring upcoming. I mean, you know, it's the first full day of spring today. Yay. Um, and we know that March can be really um, temperamental in when it has to leave. It can go one way or the other. So we're going to talk about that, uh, the, sort of the end of spring what's com- or the end of, of winter and what's coming up in the spring. And then what is this summer going to be like? And maybe even work a little climate conversation in general uh, with the Weather Network coming up after one o'clock. A lot of my friends and I, we talk about news a lot. We talk about news events. And sometimes you get to a point where it's just, oh, my gosh, what's next? Uh, one more thing. I don't know if I can take one more thing. So here's the next, if you will. And it's this labor dispute with CP Rail or within CP Rail, where they are either on strike or locked out, depending on who you talk to. People are already into, I think it's day two only of this, or day one and a half even of this labor dispute. People are already talking about 
how it might affect the supply chain and so forth. Here to talk about that with us is the Senior Vice President of Policy and uh, Government Relations for the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, Mark Agnew, joining us. Hello, Mark. Hi, Larry. Thanks for having me on. Uh, by the way, do people call you Vice President Agnew at all? or? <laughs> uh, you know what? I get that joke a lot, and my uh, quip back every time is uh, the difference between me and that one is that I, uh, I do pay my taxes on time and in full. <laughs> All right. I, I'm sorry if I'm just the next guy to make that joke. I didn't mean to, but I no, a historical no, no, that, reference. That, that, that's, no, that, that's part of the course. And I said, I have a, I have a stock answer that I'm able to give to, uh, to you and uh, anyone else who wants to ask. <laughs> good for you. Good, good for you for having that. And good for you for paying the taxes on time. Um, I'm going to call you Mark, if that's okay. Fire away. Uh, Mark, uh, first of all, this is everybody at CP Rail, right? It's engineers, yard workers, and everything. I mean, this is uh, um, whether it's a lockout or a, a walkout, it's it's stopped functioning, correct? Yeah, um, I mean, what's happened with the you know the strike is that you know it's um, not the, you know, the, the entirety of the CP workforce that is part of this uh, one particular union, but um, you know everyone has a part to play in the safe operation of the the company and uh, their rail units, and so without. This one, um, you know, union, you know, working, then uh, the whole operation does have to cease, unfortunately. I've heard a lot so far about fertilizer getting to farmers, and I understand how that works into our food chain, but who else is affected by this? Well, I think the food uh, chain, particularly, if I could just you know spend a moment there, um, part of the reason why you're hearing so much about uh, you know the fertilizer sector is you know kind of picking up on your comments before I came on about you know the weather and. Yesterday being the first day of spring, I mean, that also means that planting season is rapidly approaching. And so um, there's a lot of other sectors that are affected by this. But, you know, fertilizer in particular, because of where we are in the agriculture you know, cycle, is uh, something that you're going to hear quite a lot, uh, quite a lot about. Um, I mean, in terms of other you know, companies that move goods by rail, I mean, we're talking forestry, we're talking mining. Um, I actually had a, a company get in touch with me today who's in the, the, the medical devices space, who's negatively affected by this. Um, you know, cattle farmers who need feed uh, for cattle. I mean, these are all sectors that are going to be affected by this because so much of our economic activity happens by rail in a country of our size. I, I tell you, I learned more about the global supply chain in these last six months than I thought I'd ever know. You know, it, it's been amazing to learn about it and really just, you know, witness it to see a truck in front of a store and go, oh, global supply chain. You know, when the when the crossing thing comes down and the train goes by, you're I start to think, oh, global supply chain, I'm watching it at work. And so really, uh, it's it's pretty, uh, what's the term? Is it, is it fragile? Is it is really, it, it can't take a lot of disruption. No, that, that's absolutely correct. And so, um, you know, at a, at a macro level for the economy as a whole, um, you know, Canada is about a $2 trillion, you know, economy. And that $2 trillion includes, you know, everything from, you know, the, the services economy, as well as, um, you know, the, the real economy with people that make, you know, goods and, and physical products. Um, rail moves about $320 billion worth of goods every year. And so in the context of our overall economy, um, you know, that's, that, that's, that's, you know, roughly about a one-sixth. And so that's fairly substantial in terms of the, um, the need to have a, a well-functioning and fluid rail system. And you take what's going on with the rail sector, you compound that with 
um, you know, geopolitical disruptions due to Russia-Ukraine, um, the floods and the fires out in British Columbia last year, you know, pandemic-related disruptions. And it's just been one hit after another for companies, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and the drought in a lot of the prairie agricultural regions last year, which um, affected things as well. So it, it so it comes down to us now as as what as I mean, costs, generally speaking, is it just or just things not available or both? Um, it, it's a bit of both. And one sort of drives the other. So because of the um, lack of availability of certain products. I mean, things are, you know, th- things are going up, right? The, the prices are, are being inflated, um, you know, because that you have, you know, the same amount of people chasing after fewer things. So we kind of brush off the, the textbook from, you know, economics 101, the sort of the supply and demand equation kind of naturally dictates that we're going to be heading um, in this uh, in this direction. And so um, you're seeing that, but there's also a number of specific drivers as well. So for instance, the cost of fuel is going up, um, you know, for companies. And so that's another thing that further aggravates it. And I think it's easy for, you know, we were talking about the rail strike this week. We were talking about, you know, Ukraine three weeks ago, um, talking about the, the floods and the fires back last November. And it's in, as much as you might want to treat these events in isolation, the reality is that you have one company at the end of the day who has to bear the cumulative total of this. And so this is what I mean about it. it's just been one hit after another for businesses. And they're not able to just kind of immediately recover from one problem and then, you know, um, be fully resilient for the next one. It does certainly wear on people. Uh, you know, psychologically, emotionally, and financially, in the case of uh, small businesses, especially. I, I heard an economist a few months ago. He said, "I'm going to explain the global economy to you." And I said, "Okay, I'm I'm perked up because I'm not an economist." And he said, "One person's spending is another one's income. Period. That's the whole thing." And I was like, "Yeah, that's kind of it." So as soon as any, you know, I'm not getting that income, and then I'm affecting somebody else's income, and. I've really started to see the connection more so over all of the things you mentioned, for example. Yeah, and I'll give you one other example in the context of you know supply chains and as we're talking about the CP rail strike. I mean, um, if we're not having trains that are you know moving, then that means you're going to have more trucks, for instance, on the road. And more trucks means more congestion on the, the roadway. I mean, depending on some of the stats that you look at, um, you know, one you know unit train can move up to what's about 300 trucks of cargo off the road. And so um, when you sort of look at those differentials, right, you can see how efficient that rail is as a way to move goods. And again, if you don't have that, you're going to have more trucks on, on the road, um, you know, clogging up highways and, and all that, which, of course, has a knock-on impact to, you know, the, the everyday lives of uh, Canadians. Uh, Mark Agnew is a senior VP at um, the Canadian Chamber of Commerce. Mark, does the Canadian Chamber of Commerce have a stand on whether the government should step in, in this case, in the CP rail dispute? Yes, we do. We actually um, released a statement yesterday uh, affirming that the government should um, immediately have back-to-work legislation introduced. And, you know, and that's not something that we sort of table lightly by any means. I mean, absolutely, we mm-hmm. think there's a, a key role for collective bargaining um, and for the, the labor movement. But given the essential and critical nature of this infrastructure for our country, um, there's a national interest in having back-to-work legislation. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the word essential because one of the terms we got out of COVID was essential versus not essential. We talked about that a lot. And and the things we would have considered essential in a labor dispute have now varied, don't you think? I mean, we sort of understand that the flow of, of goods is essential for um, 
a better economy, just a thriving uh, society. Yeah, and so many things are inputs also into uh, into other products. I mean, if you were to go through, for instance, uh, what puts food on the, the shelves, right? I mean, you need farm equipment, you need fertilizer, you need seed, you need crop protection products, um, you know, you need tractors and all that kind of stuff. And so those are just the, 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 the physical products themselves. But if you then think about what enables those products to go ahead, I mean, whether it is certifications with government or licensing requirements, um, it's a very, very complex picture. And the one example that I'll, I'll give you is in the early days of the pandemic, um, there was a trucking company that had said, we might have to pull our trucks off the road because the third party provider that does our licensing with the Ministry of Transportation their office is shut because they didn't deem themselves to be an essential service. And that goes to show the connectivity that exists between, again, the companies that are in the real economy moving goods and the people that are providing kind of back office service and support functions. Uh, Mark, I'm going to throw this one out of left field. Uh, I don't know that we were ready to discuss this. So if you don't want to respond or what have you, I'm fine with that. But I just want to ask you because, Today, the announcement in Ontario about the Keeping Ontario Open for Business Act. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to look into it or hear about it or how you feel about um, about the act. I would think as the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, when it says let's you know open for business, that that's a good thing. Yeah, so uh, I can I can plead genuine ignorance because I haven't seen the uh, the announcement. I saw it sort of you know flash across my Twitter um, you know feed earlier today, but. You know, having gone through the experience of the blockades, um, these things do have a very real impact on the perception of Canada as a place to do business. And we need to have the right tools in place to make sure that the critical infrastructure, such as, you know, the Ambassador Bridge and other things, um, are able to to stay open. Um, You know, these are real people's livelihoods that are affected by, you know, downtimes in factories, for instance. And so ensuring that um, you know, police have the, the the appropriate tools at their disposal to enforce. Uh, you know, enforce the law is, is is an important thing to have, and so certainly um, we we'll look forward to reviewing what the Ontario government has uh, tabled today and seeing where it meets uh, on the on the witness test. All right, thanks for that uh, answer, Mark. I appreciate that. Uh, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Mark Agnew is Senior Vice President of Policy and Government Relations with the Canadian Chamber of commerce. And I'd like to hear from you if you think the federal government in this case, uh, Seamus O'Regan has already been talking about this, uh, 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 should step in. Uh, is this an essential service? I think we we know that it is, but then what happens to uh, labor in this country? What happens to a person's right to negotiate we have a union in this case, by the way, the 3,000 or so employees are Teamsters. Uh, and we joined this union to have some sort of unit and bargaining power uh, for when we have a labor dispute. And I don't know if you've heard about the labor dispute. And there's certain things that are there, which are, you know, pension benefits and salaries and things like this. But one of the things they talked about uh, from, from the uh, rank and file was a toxic work environment. I was like, wow, my gosh. I mean, if nothing else, you'd think that could be eliminated. I mean, uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a toxic work environment. I, I have, it's not good. It's, it's, it's at least you'd want to get rid of that. And for, for a service like this, which is the rail, which is we're understanding how essential it is. 
uh, it's uh, does the government step in? Do you think the government should step in? And if so, what to do? Just back to work? Because when you say back to work, it also means back to the negotiating table, but keep work, but work during this time. Right. So uh, think about that. Want to hear from you on that. Maybe. I mean, I would be interested to know if you've ever been part of a labor dispute or a walkout of any kind. Um, I've been in a couple of different unions. We've come close. Nothing like that. But it's it's an interesting position to be in for an individual to say, Wow. Okay. You know, I mean, I'm a member of the union and the union will take care of me to a point, but I'm going to just not do my job to, to help myself and uh, others. Um, uh, social contracts, by the way, is what that's called. And um, not an explicit, but an implicit social contract. I guess in some cases explicit too, because you sign a deal when you join a union. Anyway, those, those are the things I'd like to hear from you about when we come back and talk a little bit more about the CP Rail strike here on Kitchener today. I'm Larry Fedorik on City News 570. I mean, in terms of other you know companies that move goods by rail, I mean, we're talking forestry, we're talking mining. Um, I actually had a, a company get in touch with me today who's in the, the, the medical devices space who's negatively affected by this. Um, you know, cattle farmers who need feed uh, for cattle. I mean, these are all sectors that are going to be affected by this because so much of our economic activity happens by rail in a country of our size. It really does. And that was just moments ago, Mark Agnew of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce joining us on Kitchener today. I'm Larry Fedorik, your guest host today on uh, City News 570. And I want to hear from you. Should the government step in on the CP rail strike? Uh, 519 570 uh, 50, oh, I just gave I just gave a combination of numbers here. Hold on, five one nine five seven zero twenty five forty five one eight hundred five seven zero fifty seven fifteen toll free. Uh, star star five seventy on your cell, boy. If you actually got any of those numbers that I just butchered here, good luck to you. But yeah, those are our numbers. If you have a thought on that and the CP rail strike, sort of into a day and a half here, two days is one of those things where there are people and we've heard from these people that are going to notice it tomorrow. You know, there are, when we talked about things that go by rail and some of the things Mark Agnew of Canadian chamber of commerce just talked about, you know, fertilizer and things that move where there just aren't enough trucks to get, you know, feed to cattle and things like this right now, it's got to be on trains uh, that, that, there are people going to notice this tomorrow. And then there are a lot of us that aren't going to notice this until next week, next month, so on and so forth. And I, and I'm not a, believe it or not, I'm not a doom and gloom guy. I don't want to say that, that, um, wow, just another thing. What else is going to happen to us next? You know, sort of us, the big human humanity, us. Uh, but at some point, I mean, I, I mean, I always, tend to side on labor, you know, uh, that's where my sort of my thought goes pretty generally. I don't trust a uh, pretty strong word, but it's true. I, I really don't trust large corporations to always do the right thing on behalf of their employees. Let's put it that way. Um, 
I, I, you know, and, you know, and the evidence of that, I have plenty of evidence of that. For example, it's, there's a minimum wage law. We had to put in a law for minimum wage because people would pay less. And listen, I get it for small, medium businesses. It's a tough road to, oh, it's, it's tough to run a business, and, but your, your labor is always going to be your biggest expense. And especially in a country like Canada, where we want to be a have nation, we want people to earn great salaries and everybody has to achieve the middle class and all these kinds of things, all these kind of tough, you know, rules that we put upon ourselves to do this, then there has to be fair salaries paid. And I don't necessarily always trust corporate Canada to do that um, the way they should. So. Uh, and and by the way, this is not the CP Rail thing is not only about wages, but that is one of the things the benefits of being in a union. So I'm I'm kind of pulling for labor here, but at the same time, I am saying, what is that? Here's the next thing we we are we are dealing with. We dealt with the global supply chain. I mean, I don't think the uh, disruptions, and this is apart from CP Rail, I don't think disruptions in the global supply chain have necessarily ended. They just, you know, some of the bigger obstacles got cleared and we're kind of moving things along now. There are all kinds of other factors, never mind uh, uh, Russia, Putin, sanctions, so on and so forth, that um, that are contributing to the flow of goods, you know, and the flow of goods became so important about two years ago this month when we turned to goods uh, instead of services, because if you remember when the, and this is how it's all tied together. And our guest that we just had on just said this, uh, these are all tied together. Um, We turned away from services and we went to goods and that increased the need to keep the flow of goods. Uh, Now I'm going to try and who do we have here? We have, is this uh, Zoltan? On the line with us? Yes, I am. Hi, sir. Zoltan, go ahead, sir. Look, uh, I agree with you. I do not trust very, very large business. Uh, however, I've been in business all my life, so I have trusted myself. And uh, I really do not trust unions as well. Have you seen Jimmy Hoffa lately? I think it's best put by the writers of Star Trek when Spock said, logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So all of Canada is being held hostage by a union. Is that the way life should be in a free country? I thank Zoltan, you I'm going to stop you there just for time. I like what you're saying, Zoltan, and I appreciate. And the other thing on unions is, and I'm just, this is a blanket statement. Maybe it doesn't necessarily apply to all unions, but unions have also become huge and corporate and big, I use the term hesitantly, but corporate machines, there's a lot of money there. There's a structure of a president, a vice president, or local. And and so maybe the unions um, aren't doing exactly the same kind of work they were meant to do way back then because of the way it changes. And by the way, really quickly, we've got to go to break, but really quickly, uh, the country's more divided than ever. So the needs of the few seem to be more important because of we're the few that are the loudest. You know, I agree with you and Spock, but I think we've got to get back to that a little more. This is Kitchener Today. I'm Larry Fedora, guest hosting on City News 570. 
Dictionary today, City News 570. I'm your guest host today, Larry Fedoric. And uh, some great chats so far. We've uh, talked a little bit about the CP rail strike, about uh, COVID. I want to talk later this hour to a local woman who is a part of an initiative to bring orphaned Ukrainian children to Canada. Uh, It's just another of the sad factors of uh, Putin's war and the invasion of Ukraine. And we understand the great humanitarian need, needs, I guess, uh, of um, Ukrainian people over um, these last few weeks. Uh, But maybe we haven't, excuse me, thought about that to a great extent. But there is this, uh, this other factor, it's a very sad factor of um, kids who are orphaned. And anyway, that's coming up in uh, this hour after uh, 1.30. Uh, we have the first full day of spring upon us here. And um, yesterday was a pretty good day. Last Thursday, was that a day? Now, last Thursday, St. Patrick's Day, was the first day where I really felt it. And and then it was brief. I mean, yesterday was great as spring arrived at about 1130 in the morning, but um, also that wind was a little chilly and so forth. Uh, but I wanted to look ahead at spring here in this segment. And I also want you to think about your spring and your summer, because I want to hear your thoughts on, on kind of, is this going to be your summer? What are you going to do this summer? Is this finally going to be a summer where you're just going to, feel the freedom, not just from COVID, but of, of the shackles of winter and just uh, attack summer, you know, for all its worth and all its glory. So I want to hear from you on that in a a few minutes here. First, I want to talk to a meteorologist at the Weather Network about spring and summer. Doug Gillum is joining us here. Hello again, Doug. Hey, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm you know, I'm excited. I, as much as I love winter, I am I'm ready for spring. I'm enjoying the warmer days and and being able to get outside and feeling a little more comfortable. All right, maybe that's maybe that's a clip we cut up and isolate here. As much as <laughs> I love winter, here's <laughs> here's one of the few guys who says that. I'm not a I'm not a big fan. I'm glad you like it. I I think the Weather Network a little while ago. Uh, released a, a long term or a, a look ahead at the spring of 2022, did they not? Yes, that's correct. We released that on March the 1st. Meteorological spring doesn't quite line up with the astronomical seasons. That, that meteorological spring is March, April, and May. Uh, we did re release the forecast uh, yesterday. Uh, just some minor updates. We really didn't change the forecast, just sort of refreshing it, refreshing it up now that we are three weeks into meteorological spring and now looking at the the rest of the season now that it officially is spring. By the way, and, and I've heard your associate Chris Murphy talk about that on TV as well, this meteorological spring idea. I, I actually like that idea. I like that. I mean, I think that's how most of us look at it. March, April, May, that's spring. We we know that there's going to be a variance of weather, but it feels more like spring than astronomical, should we say. Yeah, I mean, it's based on the fact that, you know, we're not just trying to be different, but, you know, the three coldest months of the year are December, January, and February. So that's meteorological winter, the three warmest months of the year, June, July, and August. 
you know, we don't really expect spring weather anymore as we get into June. So that's meteorological summer. And then, you know, the uh, in-between months, March, April, May, those are the changeable months as we make the transition from uh, winter to summer. And in March, you know, it comes as no surprise when you get some parting shots from winter. But generally, you know, we expect, the, uh, you know, things to be getting warmer as we go through the month. All right. So what did the Weather Network say about our upcoming spring in general, I guess, both for the region and just in general terms? Well, for southern Ontario, including the KW area, we called for a temperatures overall to end up near normal. Uh, spring is always a changeable season. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. It's a season where we take two steps forward and one step back. But we were highlighting as we started the season that we'd expected it to be a little bit even more tumultuous than normal. And as we look at March so far, I really think that's serving as a preview of what we can continue to expect. Now, seasonal gains almost two degrees per week. So we are definitely going in the right direction. But you look at March so far, we've had some high impact late winter weather. We've had some fantastic weather, as you were referencing back on uh, Thursday, we topped 20 degrees. So we've had, you know, some record, near record warmth, along with some winter weather. So it's been even more changeable than normal. We expect that we'll continue to see that. April will test our patience. Uh, we do continue to expect some cool shots uh, of weather. So, um, you know, as much as we enjoyed last Thursday, uh, I doubt we, you know, we haven't seen the last of the flakes and ice. Um, but uh, as we look at those back and forth swings, the temperature roller coaster, we think we should be ending up near normal, um, although most days won't actually be right at normal. And in terms of precipitation, we do expect above average rainfall. That doesn't mean it's going to be raining you know, all the time. It just means that we're going to have um, some moisture-laden sy- systems. And the concern with that, though, is that as we start getting to the planting season, that you know, fields could be wetter than normal uh, as we get to the end of April and early May when we want to get out in the fields. Right. I was going to ask you how this giant sponge called Earth is is doing as far as uh, rainfall, at least in 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 Canada. I, I, I guess is is you know what you alluded to is we can only take so much before it's just there's nowhere else to go. Yeah, I mean, in southern Ontario, it was a snowy winter. In the KW area, it's the most snow we've seen since 2000, the winter of 13-14. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of moisture in the ground right now. And if we were to have a wet spring, I mean, spring, you typically expect a wet ground. Uh, Atlantic Canada is another area where we're a little bit concerned about agriculture in terms of a wet ground. It's quite a, a, a variety across the prairies where, you know, the heart of the agricultural region. Southern Manitoba has a lot of snow on the ground compared to normal right now. I mean, that's normally a snowy area, but um, it, they're in much better condition in terms of soil moisture than, say, last year when drought was a big story. But southern Alberta, still quite dry. So, mm. um still some water concerns in parts of the prairies, but um, overall drought, not as big of a concern this year as it has been some years. And also another positive side is that we're not really dealing with um, severe spring flooding like we've had some years because the snowpack um, started to melt uh, early. We had some thaws in February and through March, so we don't have a big snowpack in, in most areas to get rid of. I, I know they talked about 
possible flooding in 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 uh, on the Grand River and the Speed yeah. River, at least flood watch, um, because of I guess what snowpack and and upcoming rain. Yeah, I mean the ground is saturated, so any rain will go into runoff, and so uh, it's not at all uncommon to to have localized. You know, we would expect localized. Um, flooding this time of year and we're going to have that this year but we're just not seeing the the widespread regional flooding that we see from time to time when you have a deep snowpack that suddenly melts um, with warm temperatures and a heavy rainfall but yeah absolutely like you mentioned you know the ground is wet so any significant rainfall will give you uh, localized flood concerns yeah and as as and I heard this the other day too and I I'd never really heard it that way before because we're all in a hurry for the warm weather and you don't want too much warmth all at once because that you want a little bit of a, a slow thaw that just helps everybody along the way doesn't it Yeah I mean in northern ontario we've got a very deep snowpack in place and so that's definitely what they want and also in southern manitoba you know most of the snow in southern ontario is is uh you know either gone or quickly diminishing there's certainly the areas um you know in the kw area you've, you've recently had uh, you know last week had so much snow so um there is still snow melt occurring in in, in parts of the region um you're right you don't want to lose it all at once too quickly as you even though we do enjoy the the warm temperatures does the Weather Network, and by the way, we're talking with Doug Gillum. He's a meteorologist at the Weather Network. And does the Weather Network, I know they will release the summer forecast, but are are you looking at that now? Is it too soon to, to look that far and say, what kind of summer are we going to have here? Well, it, it's generally, I would say it's too soon and that we don't release the forecast till June 1st. But we are always looking ahead. Weather is a is a movie it's constantly evolving and changing and there's so many different drivers involved you can't just try to can't just jump in take a quick peek and 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 know how uh the next season will evolve and even at that it's a it's a huge challenge so yes i i've been looking ahead to the summer for quite some time and at the drivers of the the weather patterns and the the early sneak peek preview for southern Ontario is that we expect it to be a, a warmer than normal summer. At this point, it doesn't look to be excessively hot, but we do think we'll be on the warm side of normal. And at this point, um, probably prolonged drought, not a big concern. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the summertime, you know, you always have concerns about needing to water your lawn or the, or the gardens if you miss the hit and miss thunderstorms. But at this point, it looks like we should be generally well watered this summer without it being one of those summers where it feels like it's raining every afternoon. So at this point, I am, while well, the spring will test our patience uh, and, you know, it's two steps forward, one step back. We're going to take quite a step back this weekend, especially Sunday into Monday. The summer has me very optimistic that it's going to be a, a warm summer. Not everybody likes a hot summer, and I don't think it'll be excessively hot, but I think it will be quite a pleasantly warm summer. Well, and uh, again, I hate to be this messenger, but summers to me for the last few years have meant the season of floods and wildfires. And this is globally. This is not just uh, uh, Canada and North America. I mean, can you look at those kinds of things? I mean, so far you've mentioned that not excessively hot and, and maybe not too dry. So that bodes well for that. Are you looking at those two factors, either um, Canada or worldwide? 
Uh, well, we certainly are looking at Canada and North America, and a concern for this summer is uh, we are concerned about a hot, dry summer for a large part of the U.S. agricultural region uh, across the southern and central and the western high plains. It's a region that seems to be really targeted for maybe a severe drought this summer and a hot summer, and uh, there's a lot of agriculture in that region. And what we're going to be watching to see is how how does that expand? Does that expand into uh, the southern and western prairies of Canada? Uh, so that would be the one uh, primary concern for uh, drought this summer. But we think we're in a little bit better shape um, than some recent summers. And the focus of the drought is south of the border. That leaves the prairies, or at least much of the prairies, in a better situation. And at this point, it doesn't, you know, last summer, or last year, at this point, we had already highlighted um, the heat concerns and the drought concerns and the wildfire concerns for, for B.C. and the prairies. And, and unfortunately, that verified. This year, we don't see uh, many of those same signals. So cautiously optimistic for uh, Canada that we're going to be in better shape this summer um, than was really a historic summer last year. Now, uh, south of the border, some places is going to be a different story, and that does ultimately impact us when their agriculture is impacted. But uh, I think B.C. and Alberta are in a better situation this year than last summer. Well, all very interesting. And I'm one of those people who I really could talk weather for a couple of hours because I find it fascinating and I find your job fascinating. Meteorologist at the Weather Network, Doug Gillum. Thank you so much, Doug. Nice to talk to you again. Sure. My pleasure. Enjoy the spring. Uh, yeah. Oh, and the summer. And this is what I want to hear from you. Are you going to enjoy the summer? Is this the summer? It's the summer of 22. It's the summer of George or <laughs> whatever Seinfeld reference you want there. Is it? Is this going to be your summer? Uh, 519 570 2545, uh, 1-800-570-5715, toll-free, star 570 on your cell. Let me know. Is this your summer? What are you going to do? Are you going to travel? Of course, you know, gas prices. Am I going to travel? No. But at least, I don't know, get out a little more. I mean, we were kind of limited. We were told because of COVID that we could get out. Summertime was better. Uh, people outdoors more. You know, you could take off the mask. You could... You could congregate. It didn't have to be, you know, as maybe as many people, um, you know, no packed outdoor concerts or things, but but we could get outside. And I think we did. And I, I know I did as best I could to sort of get out. Um, but are, are you going to get out? I want to hear from you on this. What is your what is your plan for the summer now that we hear it's going to be, I, I guess, pretty good. Uh, so let me know and we'll uh, talk more about that just after a quick break here on City News 570. I'm your guest host, Larry Fedoric. Be right back. As we look at those back and forth swings, the temperature roller coaster, we think we should be ending up near normal, although most days won't actually be right at normal. And in terms of precipitation, we do expect above average rainfall. That doesn't mean it's going to be raining, you know, all the time. It just means that we're going to have um, some moisture-laden system. And the concern with that, though, is that as we start getting to the planting season, you know, fields could be wetter than normal uh, as we get to the end of April and early May when we want to get out in the fields. Did you get that? All right. Doug Gillum there of the Weather Network, meteorologist with the Weather Network. What do we talk with Doug for, like, 10 or so minutes? It's like the longest elevator ride. Right. Because <laughs> that's what I don't know about you, but 
I live in a building and we have an elevator and that's it's the conversation uh, uh, constantly is the weather and it's a great conversation. I, I I used to not like that conversation, but now I just embrace it uh, of the, um, oh, it looks like rain. It looks like this cold enough for you. You know, all of these conversations that start in, in, in an elevator sort of social um Actually, for the last couple of years, how the conversation starts is, is it a, we have a rule and I think it's a, I think it's a blanket rule. No more than two people in the elevator. And, and in our building, we kind of stay with that. Everybody's been pretty good about that. And uh, so the first question is, is it all right if I come in the elevator? And they're like, oh yeah, come on in. It's be two of us. And then soon, then after that, we're like, how's the weather? Hey, how's you, how are you enjoying the weather? cold enough for you and we do this and and doug gillen is just one of those people i've talked to over the years off and on meteorologist with the weather network who just has that that um that information i think in another lifetime i could be a meteorologist um is this your summer do you really want to do something this summer let us know at 519-570-2545-1-800-570-5715 that is a toll-free call also, free call is star 570 on your cell. Let me know if this is your summer. Uh, if you have any other plans now, just because, I mean, partly, of course, the weather. But, I mean, also going back to our previous conversation about COVID. And we're kind of getting this feeling like maybe this could be our summer where we can actually get out and do some of the things. Although, and are you an active person on social media, I would say I'm relatively so. So I see some people in last summer, they were at weddings and they were on vacations and they were at beaches and, and on car trips and things. And, uh, you know, a little bit of that the summer before. And, And I say this with caution from a COVID health standpoint, but, um, as, as, as long as we're obeying all the rules and we're all cautious about, you know, and mindful of each other, uh, is this your summer? Is this your summer? We're going to go, okay, COVID, I'm just going to exhale a little bit and uh, get out. And I don't know, is Brittany, Brittany, are you there? Brittany is a producer for the program today. And if she's there, Brittany. Yeah. Do, do you have a summer plan? I mean, do you have vacation? Do you have, is like, is your attitude towards this summer going to be a little different, do you think? Um, yeah, I think so. I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to getting out more, um, and doing a lot more day trips around, around the province. Of course, with everything, like with more things being opened, I think that would be, that would be awesome. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping that is the case. Um, and, and just for the benefit of the economy, frankly, if these places that cater to, um, People who like to get out in the summer, whatever they be, tourist spots, ice cream parlors, I'm being, you know, whatever, obvious here. Uh, But, uh, you know, is that is that going to be something that you can do this summer that you really plan to do this summer? We have Ian uh, joining us on the telephone. Hello, Ian. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, Enjoying this summer, so to speak, weather with the sun. Um, no, I just kind of heard you say, like, um, you know, well, what about travel with gas prices being what they are? Uh, for me, I'm actually looking to travel a lot more this summer. I drive an electric car. Um, the charging network across Canada is, is huge. 
Um, and I'm actually looking to go visit a friend in uh, possibly PEI, some in Halifax, and I've got lots of friends in BC. And honestly, wow. the, the gas prices don't really affect me at all. And uh, this is, I think, going to be a, a good summer, hopefully weather-wise, to travel and right. uh, check Ian, out some other places. Ian, and you can do this on an electric car you can get from here to PEI? We've been doing it since 2015. Wow. I, I applaud yeah, you, sir. You. Thank you. I appreciate Thank the you. call. I appreciate the call. Uh, we're going to switch a little bit here mood-wise. We're going to talk about uh, orphaned children coming out of Ukraine and a local woman who is trying to get those orphans placed. That's coming up next on Kitchener Today. Welcome back to the program. I'm Larry Fedorik, your guest host today on City News 570. Kitchener today, still to come on this program later on next hour. I want to talk a little bit about the race for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. Uh, With a couple of names entering on the weekend. All due respect, you've probably never heard of them. Uh, But here they are, and you'll probably hear of them throughout the summer as they... uh, move to the September convention where they where they choose a new leader. And we're going to talk to uh, one of my favorite people, a professor emeritus of political science at the University of Waterloo. Peter Wollstonecroft is going to uh, join us and uh, maybe even talk, what was, hey, new leader, what was wrong with the old one? So we'll talk about that. And, and in general terms, the movement of the right over the last certainly decade, but even 30 years, and what has happened there, kind of how conservatism has changed. Uh, We saw it in Canada, obviously, but it's a worldwide thing. And what that means to kind of unite a party and pick a new leader, someone that can obviously move them um, to the big office, as it were, you know, uh, that, and also want to kind of next hour, next, this is next hour, going to look ahead at the um, Oscars uh, with an old friend of mine, Rob Salem, who you may remember from the Toronto Star for many years, his movie and TV critic, which he still does, not for them, but, and has got his hands on a lot of different things. So uh, what a guy to have to talk about movies and just generally, not even the Oscars, but what are you watching? So put that in your mind, because we're going to talk about that next hour. Uh, now on uh, the program, and I want to ask uh, Jordan, our producer, if we have the clip of this young woman, Amelia, singing the Ukrainian national yeah. anthem. Yeah, we do have it. Uh, if you just give me one moment, I'm going to get it for you, if that's okay. I will, I will give you that moment, and let me just preface this. So Amelia Anasovich, seven years old gets out of Ukraine into Poland with her mother and her grandmother. And she is in a a bomb shelter at some point. And uh, she's recorded on cell phones singing uh, Let It Go in Ukrainian from the movie Frozen. And this goes online and it goes viral. And it's fantastic, by the way. But then... Uh, as she's in Poland, there's a big charity concert in Poland because Poland is is really under the strain of the the uh, 
the migrants, uh, people fleeing Ukraine, more so than any other country. So they held a charity benefit, and they found this little girl who's seven and is okay, and she's with her mom and grandmother, and not ideal, obviously, but at least she's okay, and she's with family. And they put her, they ask her to do this little thing. She gets on stage, and, and it's this little girl on this massive stage. And then they look out, and there's this huge auditorium, not auditorium, it's a stadium. And everybody's got little lights or cell phone or something. It's, it's like these dots. Do you want me to and, let the, the clip play? These glimmers of blue Larry? lights going, and she sings the national anthem. So this, this is it. Just I'm going to play a little bit of it. This is Amelia. absolutely magnificent and on stage in this and i was trying to when i was watching the video and it's worth a moment if you see it anywhere today posted or maybe you have to search it to go see this young woman amelia anisovich singing the national anthem and does she even realize that there's just tens of thousands of people out there in a stadium watching her being moved so much by her singing and her emotion and her everything and she in some ways and i use this word very carefully she's you know in a bad situation almost one of the fortunate ones in that she's got her mother and she's got her grandmother and she is safe in poland uh this is not the case for many children and we have a local uh woman uh irena bernaz who is trying to bring some attention to the orphaned children of Ukraine and getting them placed. And Irina joins us now. Hello, Irina. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. Thank you. Thank you for uh, t- giving me the chance to talk. Well, I'm, I'm so glad to have you here. I, I, first of all, uh, orphaned children. And I guess if we think about it, we realize that there would be in times of war, children who are orphaned but how many do you think how big is this this part of the crisis it's many of them need help uh, if you look in statistic each year ukraine has additional 10000 orphans since war start it's increased much more and many of them have not just mental damages, physical damages. Some of them with physical disease, uh, disease. yes, for, for sure, but we must to help everyone. Many of them right now in the hospitals. I see, I don't know how I can help. I see, but I cannot help. Let's help them together. They really help, need help. Their life really poor. I don't know if we will not help them, it's going to completely destroy them, completely. We must give them at least chance to live. Please so, let them come to Canada. Please help us to bring them. I'm asking everyone, if you can, please, let's try to do it. Let's save them. They are children. Who going to protect them if they don't have parents? 
their orphans. Please, let's help them. Irina, Irina, I want to interrupt when you say that we are trying to help them. Um, I take it you're not alone in this quest. That you have an, or, an organization? Tell me, do you have an organization yes, or others involved yes, with you? Yes, 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 yes. We have organization which is working uh, we, uh, like a, a team of uh, volunteers who are working in uh, Wilmont Recreation Center. We, each Friday we are uh, have meetings. We're trying to set up everything for, uh, for uh, the people who are going to come for refugees and we want to do for children as well and Ukrainian community people, everyone, they worry about it. Many people mention what we're going to do, how we can help them. Please, let's do it. It's really important. It's a lot true. of these children are where now? Are they still in Ukraine, orphaned in hospitals in, and in hospitals potentially in Ukraine, or have they made it out somehow? Many of them in Ukraine, in hospitals, in a shelter, in uh, everywhere, everywhere. Some of them uh, in Poland. Some We have to try to find connection here to get them from Ukraine. Uh, many of them in different locations, do you understand? Some of them cannot go out even from uh, some dangerous spots like Mariupol or uh, we don't have even contact to them. But let's try to uh, save what we can, what we can at least, who we can. I know we've heard, we've heard of children um, in some cases, perhaps not orphaned, but sent out on their own to try and get out on their yes, own because yes, they couldn't yes, be accompanied. Yes, yeah. yes, because it's a huge problem. They uh, it, they need help. People going out, people trying to uh, save their own families, but not everyone trying to protect them. Now, and people, you know, and we've seen this, Irina, over the last few weeks of people could get in a car or a, or a bus or a train and get to... Poland or Romania or 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 Hungary even, but um, getting to Canada is a much tougher tougher trip to to do. What do you propose to to help get them here? We can get them from Poland, from Romania, from different countries. They can send them. They can they can arrange transportation. I think it's not problem. Many people go and yeah. then the same things. We can manage it. The most important to let them come in because they need some of them need emergency help, some of them need just need help, shelter. Yeah, and we, I mean, Canada, we really, I think, stepped up in other crises, and now this one is becoming pretty large. I mean, they estimate not all children, but up to 13 million Ukrainians could be leaving that country uh, before, before anything else changes. And that's a lot of people and a, and a lot of children in that. And I imagine a great number of them sadly orphaned. It's increased. It's increased and increasing. Increase. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to help them, but without you, I can't. Please help. So when you say without you and you're asking others to help, how can they help? Half. I wish to ask our uh, MPs, our uh, people who, who has power, 
please uh, let's get connection uh, with these organizations. Uh, I can help with this stuff. And please help us to get kids. Let them come in. Let them open visas. Uh, we have to find out how to pay tickets for them. Many people getting visas, but they cannot get, uh, they cannot arrange tickets because they lost everything. They lost, they was saving, just protecting their love children. And they left country, but they cannot afford tickets. I'm not talking just about children, orphans. I'm talking just about regular ones. Not everyone, just eligible, can, who can afford tickets can come. But it's not okay. We must to protect little ones as well. And people, we, everyone equal in our country. We must protect everyone, not just mm-hmm. who can afford these tickets. I the, know some families, single mothers, which is waiting in Poland, they cannot pay, they can't. They don't know, and they are afraid sitting in Poland even, because it's unpredictable. Are you, Irina, speaking at the consulate about this as well, soon? Uh, uh, yes, we're trying to uh, do, we're trying, we just start talking, and yeah. And, and this is the Ukrainian consulate? Uh, here in this country. Today we're going to have a meeting at uh, 7 p.m., yes. Okay, all right. Um, going to talk and, about and it. Anything, anything they can do. Now, now, I understand this very well, but as an individual sitting listening to your voice, what what should they do? Should they contact their MPs? Should they, are you looking for any financial donations? What uh, I'm looking what for all kinds of uh, support, like who may help me to uh, get kids to Canada because legally need help for this. Uh, who may help uh, with hospitals? Some kids, they got, uh, they got uh, problems, health problems. Uh, they lost uh, legs. They lost, they got damages. They need help. If you're watching news, you can see everything. It's visible. And many of them, they cannot get even simple help. Uh, I cannot manage by myself, but we need to manage it with hospitals. Maybe sick hospital can help. Maybe they can take even one child. It's going to be beneficial. They can save someone's life. Um, but again, Arena, should people contact you or an organization specifically? They can contact or- organization. They can contact me. They can contact our community. We are together. We are team. We are working together. How, how do people get a hold of you, or how do they find you? Uh, you can contact me on my phone, 519-716-8885. Just repeat that again, 519-716-8885. All right. Um, Irina, thanks for your work. And your thoughts on this uh, today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your help. Irina Bernaz um, is working to help orphaned children, children orphaned because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and who are perhaps, as she said, still in Ukraine in hospital. Uh, maybe some have made it out. And um, The countries that border the west of Ukraine, who have uh, taken the majority of the the refugees, the people leaving, um, 
are especially Poland, who's taken the largest number, is particularly under strain as as well. And um, as you can imagine, just uh, imagine suddenly three, four, five, six, seven million extra people in your country, and many of them in a concentrated area. Uh, you know, and Poland, Ukraine, I'm just trying to picture how big Poland is compared to Ukraine. Ukraine is about the size of Alberta, should we say, in geogra- uh, you know, in area, geographic area. And, and, and Poland about that, and just suddenly millions more people there. So the, there is the need. People often wonder, you know, how can I help? What can I do? Uh, maybe this is one of the areas we'll look at. And this is where we're going to pick up the conversation about this and and uh, it, it just about charity as well. And your thoughts on this as well. Uh, we'll continue this topic in just a moment here on Kitchener Today on City News 570. Many of them in Ukraine, in hospitals, in a shelter, in everywhere, everywhere. Some of them in Poland. Some we have to try to find connection here to get them from Ukraine. Many of them in different locations. Do you understand? Some of them cannot go out even from some dangerous spots like Mariupol, or uh, we don't have even contact to them. But let's try to save who we can. Woman Irina Bernaz on Kitchener today, only moments ago, talking about the need to help the orphaned Ukrainian children. Uh, how do you help? Do you donate? Do you regularly donate? Are, are you moved to donate in this particular cause? Are you tapped out? How do you help? It's not just always about donations or money, but uh, uh, how do you help? And are you motivated to help? If you want to discuss this more, 519-570-2545, 1-800-570-5715 is toll-free, star 570 on yourself to get a hold of Kitchener Today. I'm Larry Fedorik, guest hosting today, and have followed this war to a great extent, not because or only because... I'm of Ukrainian heritage, and I am, if the name didn't tip you, but I'm I'm nearly third-generation Canadian. I don't uh, uh, have any immediate friends or family in Ukraine, and uh, it's it's not about that. It's 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 about humanity. It's about human race. It's about, and I've talked about this before, where it's. I'm I'm not Syrian, but I just felt a disturbance in the force when millions of Syrians had to flee the country and were under persecution and under threat of life um, by soldiers and, you know, their own government to a certain extent, not an invading government even, um, or Afghans or Moroccans trying to flee to Spain or people drowning in the Mediterranean. in, in over the summers trying to uh, escape Libya and what have you in other nations. It, it's just too much. Maybe I'm stating the obvious here, but it is too much time after time after time to see the refugees. Uh, I, I'm not doing some ridiculous Pollyanna can't we all get along thing, or maybe I am, I don't know. 
but it's just stop. I mean, and I know that is so much easier said. So in the meantime, how do we, how do we react? How can Canada react? I think Canada has been reacting fairly well and has reacted in past crises. Um, I, I guess in its way, America as well, America is different. It's a world power. It's the world police, so on and so forth. What can we do? We're a big country. We can do it. We are a country made up of people from somewhere else. This is who we are. This is how we're built. Um, so when people from somewhere else have to uh, escape, Canada has been pretty consistent in saying, you know, opening up arms and saying, come here, welcome. And, and it's not about diaspora alone. It's, it's, it's a humanity overall. I understand the connection of diaspora. I always point out, where is what country has the biggest Ukrainian diaspora in the world? Canada is second. Russia is actually number one. And that is, without getting into all the, all the politics of the war, that is part of what's going on there is brother versus brother almost to an extent. There's a lot of Russians in Ukraine, a lot of Ukrainians in Russia. Canada, we have a large Ukrainian diaspora, second in the world. And, I mean, I understand that's part of the motivator, but shouldn't the motivator be humanity here and orphaned uh, children? Just before we end our segment, really quickly, again, this is Amelia Andasovich, seven-year-old from Ukraine, escaped to Poland, did a viral video of her singing in a bomb shelter. So they had her sing the Ukrainian national anthem at a huge fundraiser in Poland. This is Amelia in the anthem. She's seven. It's tiny on that big stage, and when they pan back in the whole stadium, it's this tiny little person with this huge voice. Uh, check out that video today. Hopefully, that will help move you to help uh, locally and uh, help uh, help the cause generally of people displaced or otherwise disadvantaged by this awful war. This is Kitchener Today. I'm Larry Fedorik. Uh, we'll break for news, come back, and talk about the conservative leadership of Canada race. To the program. I'm your guest host today, Larry Fedorik, and we've got uh, some great stuff to talk about this hour. Rob Salem is going to join us. The name is familiar. Many years as the TV and movie critic for the Toronto Star. Uh, still does that, but not for the Star. Has branched out into a lot of other areas, and since the Oscars are on Sunday... I thought we'd catch up on that. Maybe um, so that when we're watching the Oscars, we almost know what we're doing. You know, Rob Salem will help get us there. I tell you, for me, the last couple of years, the bloom is kind of off the Oscars um, and, and the Golden Globes and the Super Bowl and the Masters, all that stuff. I don't know. It's just priorities have shifted, but I still love movies, still 
look forward to the Oscars. That's the one award show where I go, okay, I'll still check that out, see what's going on there. Uh, but just to get us updated as to what to look for, what to watch for, and maybe what to watch before that, because, you know, times have changed tremendously in these last three or four years where uh, if you wanted to get in your Oscar movies, you had to get out, get a babysitter, go out, go see a movie. At least I'll see that movie before the Oscars. And now it's just like, well, let's pick the streaming service. Let's find out where that movie is. In many cases, we can still do that. So a little Oscar update. That'll be after 2.30 with uh, Rob Salem. One of the things I'm I'm watching with interest is not only the Conservative Party of Canada, but the conservative movement um, over the world in the last 30 years, certainly with the focus on North America and more so Canada. A few weeks ago, the Conservative Party of Canada decided Aaron O'Toole, well, he's not our guy. And now there is another, yet another race for a leader that they will choose in September at a convention. Two more names entered the race, one from B.C., a Mark Dalton, an MP, and then Scott Aitchison of Huntsville. Uh, And, of course, Jean Charest is that big name that uh, over the weekend kind of confirmed that he wants to be the next leader and the next prime minister. Joining us is Professor Emeritus of Political Science at the University of Waterloo, Peter Wollstonecraft. Joining us, Professor Wollstonecroft, nice to talk to you. Hey, Larry. Happy afternoon to you. Uh, and to you. So what do you make now of this race so far? And I kind of want to get into conservatism in general around the world, if you will. But it, it, in this race so far, first of all, Aaron O'Toole, what was wrong, if you will, with Aaron O'Toole in the minds of the Conservative Party? Well, he didn't produce a victory when uh, the leader of the Liberal Party seemed to be on the ropes. He also angered a lot of people because in the previous leadership race, he ran as a right-wing kind of guy, and then as soon as he became leader, he became something else, a left-wing conservative, a red Tory, and that angered a lot of people. And uh, and he campaigned terribly. I, I it's hard. I'm hard pressed to think of a worse campaign. Oh, I can think of a few, but it was pretty bad uh, because he seemed to be unclear about uh, some of the nuances of his policies, and he so he was retracting what he said uh, two minutes ago. That's yeah, very good. true. Yeah, very true about the campaign. You're right about that. But as far as pleasing everybody in the party. Is it even possible to unite the right right now? Yeah. Well, you know, if you look at the long history of the Conservative Party since 1921, when people like me, that's we say that's when the modern party system started in Canada. So, gosh almighty, that's uh, over 100 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And um, the Conservative Party has always been, compared to the Liberals, a cobbled-together coalition of quite different forces and mm-hmm. not happily or harmoniously working together. And it's only rarely has a Conservative Party had a high degree of unity. Surprisingly enough, given all the controversies, Brian Marooney's uh, government, uh, basically from 84 to 93, was highlighted by a great deal of agreement within the, uh, within the party, even though there were strong differences from one member to the, ma- the next. In other words, Brian Marooney led that party. And mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Harper did to a certain extent, 
so he had a, a smaller group to deal with. Uh, but Andrew Shear suffered, and Aaron O'Toole suffered, and I suspect the new person, whoever it may be, uh, will have the same problems. Well, you brought up two names that I wanted to ask you about. One was, and let's just say Stephen Harper to start with, because is there another Stephen Harper out there? I think Stephen Harper, as compared to, let's say, Brian Mulroney, had a tougher job in, in reuniting all these factions that appeared before him and, and, and somehow held them together to become one of the longer-serving prime ministers. Yeah, that's right. But he didn't have to deal with a lot of Quebec members of parliament, so that's one thing. And Brian Mulroney... A friend of mine who was very close to the Maruti government said it was astonishing because when the Conservative caucus met after the 84 election, there were a large number of, of Conservative MPs from uh, Western Canada and Ontario who were unilingual English and didn't have much favor for the Francophones from Quebec. And the Francophones didn't like the unilingual Anglophones. And mm-hmm. they were in the same room cheering with great fervor the same leader. That would be Brian Maruni. So this, so this leads right he, into John Charest as a candidate, then. Is, yes, is, he did, and, is, and uh, as a very young man. And, and John Charest, uh, a lot of people are surprised to hear this because they see him as, uh, as in the past. He, he's only 63. Of course, I'm 78, so I can say that, 63. <laughs> he's a young man. Right. But he is. He, he left to go to Quebec politics because of his home and his you know, trying to unify Quebec, and he is, he's a Quebecer. How does that, how does that play with the Alberta wing and so on and so forth? Well, that, that is, you know, I'm from Alberta. You're from Saskatchewan a long time ago. Uh, And we understand Western Canadians uh, in the sense that, that as as a Western Canadian, I, I, in, in the 50s and 60s, I was very suspicious of Eastern Canada because the only time the CBC, for example, ever came to Alberta was when there was a coup, two-headed calf born in Drumheller. So that was that. And, uh, you know, so there, was, there tended to be yeah, there tended to be a lot of neglect and, and also kind of a sniffy attitude towards Westerners who did dirty work and weren't very pleasant to be around and that kind of stuff. Um, so, but there are interests. That is that is the important thing uh, that all these politicians have to face if they're going to achieve any kind of unity within the party. And it's very difficult in 2022 than it was 30, 40 years ago because we have all these gender identity issues. But we also have the longstanding tradition of regional and linguistic differences. And then, and then we have to deal with a multicultural Canada. We also have to deal with... Uh, new forces emerging from uh, immigrant populations, uh, and 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 of course uh, the emerging indigenous issue. It, it is it is it is remarkable how our our discussion about politics has changed. Say from 1970, where hardly anybody spoke about the indigenous issue, there was a little bit. To now, it's front and center, and we didn't talk about identity things dealing with black people or racialized minorities. Even that language would be foreign to people to even 20 years ago. So now, so now the Conservative Party has to address that. It also has to address uh, the social conservatism. And the social conservatism, which, which to my mind, is weak in Canada compared to its counterparts in the United States, but it's very important within the Conservative Party. And it, it produced, essentially, uh, Stephen Harper, uh, Andrew Scheer, 
uh, Aaron O'Toole. Aaron O'Toole mm-hmm. kind of deluded people, but there you go. So how that will play out in 2022, that is one of the big questions. Uh, the town I come from in Saskatchewan was the home of John Diefenbaker's first law practice, yes, by the way. Walk on Saskatchewan. Absolutely. And, and, and to this day, he's the only prime minister I've actually ever met in person. <laughs> so, uh, boy, I'm old. Uh, but, but that was it. It was, it was, the, it was John Diefenbaker. And, and I, I guess I want to kind of skip ahead. And I'm going to throw a name out of the blue here to the, to the Newt Gingrich conservatism of the United States of the 90s, where it, you became the enemy. These weren't political opponents and people talk about the Eisenhower days in America and you can go back to Canada, how you had political opponents and people thought the two parties weren't different enough. And, and, and this has changed tremendously since the nineties. And is that part of the issue here is just, well, it's there too is, divided now. Can everybody get back to the middle and try and agree on th- some things? Well, yeah. Uh, w. H. Auden very famously said the the middle doesn't hold. Uh, this is before World War II, um, mm. and you, there's a lot of evidence uh, around the West, the industrial democracies, the modern democracies, about polarization between right and left people, and and many other points of dissimilarity. There's a kind of a populism. Uh, uh, Played out in the land, so you, you find uh, you know when I was say 1960, very few people would would not be happy following the advice of experts. So I'm told by people who do research and my own conversations with people that there are now people who who regard themselves as having the capacity to do expert analysis of things. Uh, so I was listening to the weather guy John Wilson today. I said, how many people really think that they could? forecast the weather and how many people think that they could do surgery we've got people who who reject the advice of of uh, the medical profession public health people on vaccines so i noticed for example uh, jean charay said that he believes we have to follow the advice of the public health people uh in canada and around the world and you get other people who say no 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 we don't follow their advice in fact they're wrong and we should let people do their own research and do their own investigation into what's the best medicine. My body, my choice. I saw that sign a lot in Ottawa where people were yelling the freedom thing. Well, this is a remarkable change where, where the expert knowledge of people is dismissed as no better than the inexpert, inexpert knowledge of ordinary folk. Well, my, my line on this is any problem, big or small, however private or public today, cannot be discussed without discussing the fact that we're all connected all the time. Because now you can have any theory, and it's so much easier to be validated validated rather by another 1,000, 10,000 people. Yeah. So that's a, a small and, and explanation you, of how it spreads. You get, and you get people, when I ask them, uh, they, uh, they will say, oh, I haven't done any research. So I, I, I pose a problem. They say, oh, I haven't done my research, research on this. So I think of, of my son, who did 10 years of university education to become an expert in his field. Same thing with my daughter, who did about 10 years to become an expert in her field. I regard myself as an expert in, in things that I do. It takes a long time, and yet people say casually to me, oh, I don't know, oh, I guess I'll do some research and make up my mind. <laughs> so yeah. you get that kind yeah. of populistic notion of this very powerful word, research, meaning, oh, I'll stroll through the, through, through the pages offered by Mr. Google and I'll make up my mind. Excuse me, folks, that's not research. That's picking and choosing stuff. 
Well, we've we've kind of wandered here, and boy, I've enjoyed it, and could keep going off on these off ramps. But back to this leadership race of the conservative, is there? I, I get that it's only March. Is is there a winner? Is there somebody else that we're waiting for well, a shoe to drop? The, What's the, going all on? All this is part of a package that I will say it causes a, a real problem for political science because we have a we have a ranked ballot here. So when people vote, they have to go one, two, three, four, five. And political science literature says when you have that kind of voting system, the candidates will be nice to each other. Well, that certainly has not happened. We're barely two weeks right. into the race, and, and now. Uh, they're throwing uh, uh, grenades and lighting lighting up their flamethrowers, and so it, it has been remarkable how how acidic, how toxic the discourse has been. And what's it going to be like when we have a debate? So be at least two, one in French, one in English. Uh, what would that be like? And usually, the fear and loathing came near the very end of a campaign on the cam- on the on the floor of the convention. We don't have people vote at home now, so we don't have a convention in that sense. But we, now we have fear and loathing at the very beginning of this. So it says mm-hmm. something about, to your very beginning point, about how divisive uh, this, this, th- these times are in, in all our parties and, and how, how easily fractured we are. Uh, so the, the, the political universe has changed. It has become much more polarized and and people are much more segmented. So they have, we have people with very special interests and think that's uh, or concerns, as if that's the only thing that matters. Uh, speaking of which, that ranked ballot for leadership, uh, I, I would actually like to see more of that in general in general elections. Well, you think that would help? Uh, well, you have to be very very careful. And I'm not a big fan. I'm I'm actually. And unusual in my profession, uh, a big supporter of uh, first past the post, so single member oh, plurality. Okay. And and rank ballots make sense if you're talking perhaps about people for city council or school board. I don't know if it really makes sense uh, in the uh, for elections to provincial government or to the to the national parliament. Uh, mm-hmm. So people have to make their choices, and then we we live with the consequences. And uh, you know, people say, "Well, we want to change the electoral system. We want to give more voice to uh, different populations." But what you're doing is actually giving great weight to the party leaders who are already very powerful in our system. And parties spend a lot of time bargaining amongst themselves in the legislature uh, and and making deals that had nothing to do with their campaign. Uh, really quickly, is this division um, in the right? Because in Canada, as we as we know, we can we can go with the the middle left or the lefter lefter yeah lefter <laughs> uh, we can go more left. uh, but but there there isn't that necessarily outside of a maxine bernie there isn't that availability on the right so is 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 the are the liberals just putting their feet up going yeah go ahead guys kill each other uh you know they're already ordering this champagne okay and they they know what to do with the NDP. The NDP is stuck where it is. They know more or less what to do with the Green Party, um, and they will see that the Conservatives are divided, uh, as it is with the People's Party of Canada and the Conservative Party fighting it out. And then who knows? I mean, will there be some kind of fracture coming out of this? I can see the people in Western Canada may be very unhappy if the vote goes this way or that way. And we know what happened in in the 1990s, right? Two, oh my two, gosh! Two conservative parties 
gave uh, gave a free ride to the liberals and they they were able to govern very happily uh, without having to worry about uh, being ousted it wasn't until quite frankly an accident of circumstances that put Stephen Harper in there in uh, 2009 fascinating always and uh, in such an interesting matter professor always appreciate the chat and find it very interesting thank you so much uh, thank you thank you professor Peter Wollstonecroft, he is a professor emeritus of political science, University of uh, Waterloo. Uh, If you have a vote, what would that vote be? We'll just wrap up this topic in just a minute here on City News 570. This is part of a package that I will say it causes a a real problem for political science because we have a a ranked ballot here. So when people vote, they have to go one, two, three, four, five. And political science literature says when you have that kind of voting system, the candidates will be nice to each other. Well, that certainly has not happened. We're barely two weeks into the race, and and now uh, they're throwing uh, uh, grenades and lighting lighting up their flamethrowers. Always fascinating individual, isn't he? Peter Wollstonecroft, Professor Emeritus, Political Science, University of Waterloo, in our conversation. Minutes ago, this is Larry Fedoric, guest hosting on Kitchener Today on City News 570. And I've talked to the professor a few times over the years, and uh, he always takes me in these directions, which I absolutely love. In other words, as he alluded to, you know, I like to think I'm an expert in my field, and here's where I think it might be going. We were talking about, of course, the conservative uh, party race for leader, which a couple of people entered on the weekend. And with due respect to these people who are, I'm sure, dedicated civil servants and, and good people for their constituencies, uh, never heard of you. You know, uh, Mark Dalton in British Columbia, I think it's Maple Ridge. Shouldn't have said that because now I'm not sure about that. But anyway, from Huntsville, also Scott Aitchison. And, you know, we always see this in leadership races where people enter the race, never heard of you, and, and they kind of enter the race to bolster their own position position within the party. Uh, you know, given that I guess at any race, a dark horse can come up to, from behind and suddenly be there at the wire to keep butchering this metaphor. Uh, they, I guess they can, but I doubt it. Uh, is it John Charest to lose? You know, we shall see. I mean, I, I you know, I thought it was Peter McKay uh, back last year. I thought, well, it's Peter McKay. Like, who's who on that side of the political spectrum is more prime ministerial right now than Peter McKay? They didn't like Peter McKay. They had some, you know, old grudges and things. So he didn't get it. The convention in September will know by then. By Sunday night, we'll know the Oscar winners. We're going to talk about that with Rob Salem, TV and movie critic. We'll talk about the Oscars and what to watch. And uh, if we have some time here, what you're watching and what you recommend to watch when we return with Kitchener today. Today, I'm Larry Fedorik, guest host for today. We were just talking about the conservative leadership race. Um, just going to mention that on my podcast, it's weekly, it's wherever you find podcasts, or also my YouTube channel. It's called Later That Same Life. And uh, we discussed 
on that podcast about being connected all the time. Cause I really do believe just kind of want to remake that point about being connected all the time with everybody um, is contributing to everything that's different in this world in so many different ways. And maybe that's an obvious thing. Maybe I just think we have to think about that because it's leading to the division. It's leading to people being able to validate themselves and their beliefs by finding another thousand or 10,000 people that follow them and say, go, oh, yeah, well, this many people can't be wrong kind of thing, you know? So uh, if you can, the podcast is a little closer to sort of a talk show uh, that I used to do as opposed to my previous podcast. So uh, you can check that out. Speaking of the world changing movies and television and the way we consume um, our entertainment. uh, Wow. Oscars are Sunday. And if you think about Oscar movies or movies that you wanted to see that were Oscar worthy, or you were interested because they got nominations, you'd go through the listings and make your way to your local theater. And and it's now it's like, well, where is this screaming? Do I, have a subscription to that site. Can I borrow somebody's code? How do I see this movie? Because it's not necessarily in the theaters, or it might have been for a couple of days, and nevertheless. So I just thought kind of ahead of the Oscars on uh, Sunday, and this will give you a few days to kind of catch up if that's the thing you want to do. We would talk about movies and Oscars with uh, TV and movie critic, Many years for the Toronto Star, now still doing that. Also an actor and professor, Rob Salem. As I live and breathe, it's Rob Salem. Hey, Rob. Hello. Now I can't hear Rob. Is, is Rob there? Hi, Rob. I am here. Okay, I hear you now, sir. Oh, good. Okay. Hi, Larry. Hi there. So years ago, uh, like a hundred years ago, when I uh, when I wanted to be a stand-up comedian, I was at Yuck Yucks doing stand-up, and there was another guy named Rob Salem. Yeah, <laughs> who was trying his hand at that as well. Was that? I think that was you. <laughs> it was indeed. It was indeed. It's interesting though, and I'm sure you'll agree that, that having done stand-up comedy, you can then do anything. Yes, you're not afraid of anything. Yeah. And, so and it was I always, I was never any good, but it was a worthwhile experience. Well, I I didn't exactly go straight to the Tonight Show either. <laughs> although although I was around and you were around in the times of Jim Carrey and Howie Mandel, and there yeah. was guys that were clearly just so good, you just knew they were going somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, I had the first interview with Jim, and uh, I actually did the first story on Howie too. I was. Uh, I was doing. I was double teaming. I was. I was both trying to be a stand-up comic and writing about them, so I had right. everything covered. Right, and I, I do remember too. It's like wow, that Rob Salem, that guy. He works with the Toronto Star. He's a writer, and I, I just remember that. And and you've become a legend in that field as uh, hmm. uh, as well. And and obviously, you're still critiquing and following TV and movies, right? Well, only really in in, in uh, relation to, to school and the. the program that I'm teaching is uh, well, a showrunner's post-grad course, but it, uh, my particular course is, uh, sort of combines television critique and television history, so I'm, I'm keeping on top of it stuff uh, for the students. But, no, it's nice to actually be able to watch television and not have to write about it. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just up to my enjoyment factor. It, that being said, I'll never be able to watch television like a normal person after, you know, 
20 years doing TV and uh, 20 years doing movies. Um, I can't watch anything uncritically, so that's kind of ruined that for me. But I'm now watching stuff I want to watch as opposed to watching stuff I have to watch. And thank mm-hmm. God, because there's no way I could keep on top of all the stuff that's on now. Between wow. streaming and network and cable, it, it's ridiculous. It's impossible to cover it all. Well, there's, there is so much content and so much good content, at least according to people and friends who say, oh, you got to watch, you got to watch. So here's my here's one of my questions that I've sort of been throwing out there the last year or so. So I, I can watch a really good movie that's streaming, but I watch it at home over three nights. But then I watch a series that's maybe five or six hours long in total, and I watch it over four or five nights. They're both production quality, writing quality, acting is high. What's a movie? Is there, you know, is there still a movie today? And what's that definition? Well, exactly. And I mean, you know, just look at the Oscar nominees. I mean, there are films there that uh, that played on streaming services instead of uh, theaters, or at least in addition to theaters. Um, uh, it's what is a movie exactly? Is it something that's enjoyed in the theater? Because. That whole dynamic has now changed with uh, in in the wake of COVID, um, where uh, people are watching stuff at home as opposed to going out to theaters. It's going to be a real it's going to be a real struggle to get people back into theaters for anything other than the big blockbusters, the big superhero movies, the Fast and Furious, and all that stuff that needs to be seen on a big screen as a communal experience. Yeah, they count on that, do they? And that's that's. Traditionally, and I guess it's still the same, the Oscars tend not to lean towards the blockbusters. or the, No, they, they avoid them completely, yeah. which is why the dynamic has particularly changed in terms of the Oscars. In terms of this year, where, I mean, usually most people haven't seen most of the movies because they tend to be the more, uh, the less commercial, more um, prestigious films. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now... That more of them are seeing them, but I don't know that they're. I, I don't. More of them are able to see them. I don't know how many more of them are watching them. I don't think going like um, how many people um, went to see Liquor's Pizza. You know, I mean, how many? Um, what what is the uh, what is the potential for that even in the best of times, and what is the potential for it now? Power of the Dog. That was on um, uh, streaming at the same time it was in theaters. I'm sure more people saw that. Right. Uh, West Side Story is is, is on, uh, I'm talking, these are all Best Picture nominees. West Side Story is on Disney Plus at the same time it's in the theaters. How is that going to work out? Yeah, I I, I don't know. And I mean, this is probably a, a can of worms shouldn't open. But like, for example, Disney Plus and theaters... I kind of like that idea because then I have the options. Whereas licorice pizza, I, I'm never going to get that at home. Mm-hmm. Well, possibly. Well, it's good. I mean, everything shows up streaming at some point. Sure. Even if even if you have to pay for it on demand, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, you're getting it through your cable provider, um, so you have access to everything at home eventually. Yeah, um, but, but I mean, but, I mean, pe- people always ask me what my favorite kind of movie is, and I always go, well, the one where people are talking. These yeah. and I love them. I, I'm serious about that. Wouldn't these kind of movies play better in streaming because now it's more of a person? I don't need a big screen. I, my screen's pretty big anyway. It's a personal experience. I'm at home. It's all good. I don't need. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of people are coming to that conclusion, that it would be better to enjoy it at home. There is, in fact, a difference. Um, Marshall McLuhan's son, whose name escapes me, although it was McLuhan, um, did some experiments, I believe at U of T, uh, that measured the effects of reflected light and projected light. So light that you're getting directly beamed into your face as opposed to the light that's being reflected off a screen. And you tend to be sort of more analytical of something that is, is, um, is, is coming back from a screen. You tend to just sort of more experience stuff and let it wash over you at home. Um, so there's a different way, there's a difference in the way we perceive stuff between cinema and uh, and and home, and, and you have to make that call. I mean, for example, I haven't seen Dune yet. I've been waiting to see Dune. I was going to go see it in the theater. I was going to go see it in IMAX, but I'm now. It's been however long it's been out, a couple of months, and I'm thinking, well, it's going to be on demand soon. I might as well mm-hmm. watch it at home on my big screen. So. Any, any of uh, it's still not the same experience, obviously, but is it sufficient? Have the Oscars changed the rules, by the way, or do you still need to be in a theater in the month of December in L.A. or New York or, you know, whatever the rules were? I'm not actually sure. I think I think all of these films have had a token release. And I think that's still on the books. If, right, if it okay. is still on the books, it won't be for long. I mean, right. this is the way of the future. I mean, films like, I mean... A film like Being the Ricardos, that's a, that's a streaming movie. That's not, it's not a theatrical feature. It played in the theater yeah. in order to qualify. But is that an actual film? I don't know. Were those actual film performances? Well, as you said, the, the cinematic quality of, of the average streaming show and the average streaming movie are, are right up there. What is the difference? I don't know. These are all questions. I think... I know. The impact it's going to have on the Oscars is, is that, in addition to the Oscars themselves, the program, the, the show, is people don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. People really don't care anymore. They'll, if they see, you know, an Oscar winner advertised uh, at your local theater, you know it's won the Oscar, you might be more inclined to go. But it's not like people are going to seek out these movies before the Oscars. And the numbers of people watching the Oscars is just dropping and dropping and dropping. They're not relevant anymore. Well, I always wondered why it was a TV show. I mean, it it never actually made sense. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say that totally, because at some point, many famous, powerful people get together in a room. You'd want to televise some of that, I guess. But it, it, it didn't really work for me as a television show ever. I loved I loved to hear about it afterwards, but watching the show itself, but but I, and I thought it was interesting you mentioned you observed that because I thought it was just me that I, I don't care as much about these things anymore. No, you're saying that, you're seeing that generally people don't and 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 it, and, it, and again it's because there's so much product out there and so much content that it just keeps it's like my sim double I would have had covering it if I was still writing for the star. Uh, there's just so much out there it's impossible to see everything. Um, so in that sense, the Oscars can still provide a service in that it kind of narrows the field. You know, the, these are the films that you should see because they're the prestigious films. Uh, I mean, you know, you already know that everybody's going to go see Spider-Man movie. Everybody's going right, to go see right. Batman. Um, but uh, it's sort of what do the films have to look out for? Like, I don't know that I would necessarily have gone to see Power of the Dog in a theater. Mm-hmm. Now that's just me, but I'm saying I, I don't know 
no, I did see it, and I saw it at home, and I loved it. And having seen it, if I had known in advance how good it was, yes, I would have gone to see the theater. But I made that call. But again, and we kind of alluded to it at the beginning, we're of a generation where what happens with the next and maybe even the next, where that's just not part of our upbringing. There's, there's you know, a chance that some kids have, will never go to a big theater to see a movie. It'll be something they read about in books if they read yeah, books. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a sad possibility, but it is a possibility that ultimately the, the home theater will become that much more, uh, I mean, it's already technologically whole different experience than it was in our day when we were kids sure. watching television. Uh, but um, it's, as that becomes more of a theatrical experience, the theatrical experience becomes less and less accessible. And, of course, coupled with now, there's still some gun shyness about going out in public, crowded yep. rooms. Um, so uh, that certainly in the time being, theaters are going to have a very tough time pulling people back in with all this stuff accessible to them at home. Now, do you... Rob, sorry, but do you still do predictions? Like, do you, is there somebody you like for best film, best actor? Well, I think it's going to be pretty much a sweep for Power of the Dog. Okay. I think, I think Benedict Cumberbatch is going to win best actor. Uh, although there's some saying Will Smith, I, I think it's got to be Cumberbatch. Um, uh, and interestingly, again, here's a category. Javier Bardem is nominated for being the Ricardos, which uh, was that... Anyway, um, well, I mean, yeah, I I actually saw that movie. I thought it was fun, uh, adequate. Uh, I actually liked. Uh, is it J.K. Simmons in J. K. the? Simmons in the good. It's nice to see him yeah. nominated. But again, I think it's going to be Power of the Dog. Um, I think in the case of supporting actor, it'll be the kid Cody Smith McPhee. Right. Um, but it, what would be really nice is because Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst are both nominated as supporting for Power of the Dog, and they're a mm. couple. Ah. Wouldn't it be cute if they both won and they had this mantelpiece with two Oscars on it? But that's for them, cute. it would be very cute, yes. It would be very cute. But I think Jane <laughs> Campion for that film is going to get director, and I think it's going to get best film. But um, perhaps not. Perhaps not, wow. because um, uh, there, there is already some backlash against it um, by the Western purists, uh, mm. like Sam Elliott, who object to the fact that it was shot in New Zealand. Wow. Okay, that's an odd. I didn't. I didn't hear that. But okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that, well, that, uh, that and the fact that it's that it's that it's so gay themed, and they had a problem with that. But uh, it's a beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a lovely film. It's a lovely film. Incredible performances. Beautifully shot. Um, so it. I think it's deserving of all the uh, affection it's getting. All right. So that and that's interesting because you've mentioned one where that I did not see that I was aware of and it's it's on my list that I didn't get to. So but I can easily accomplish that, I believe, between now and Sunday. It's at yeah. home. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, like I have to. There's a couple I want to see before Sunday. I want to see Belfast. I've been dying to see Belfast. Yeah. I, I live right across the street from a rep theater. Uh, in fact, I just recently voted the best one in Toronto. So I can see. I, I, again, I'm I'm lucky in that I can see pretty much anything that I want to see. All of those films, those marginal uh, prestige films, and the big films, all come to the theater across the street. Oh, nice! So, so my choice is to sit at home and watch it, or walk across the street. Um, That's pretty so good. I've been yeah. meaning to watch Belfast. I just haven't been able to catch it on the right day. But I can watch it at home. And there's a film I think could be perfectly uh, well enjoyed at home. 
Uh, will movies or do movies in these last couple of years still see an Oscar bump? If if Power of the Dog sweeps, how would you notice a bump? I guess more more streaming, more rentals, or whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. Uh, I don't see again. It's uh, those those numbers aren't readily available. They sort of only release any idea of what viewership of something is if it's huge. So um, uh, it definitely will be a bump uh, in terms of streaming. Uh, will it bring people out to theaters? Well, I don't know. I think it's probably uh, already left most theaters by now. Uh, yeah. But they may keep it on longer if it, if it wins. Uh, so, yes, people will go see it. For Power of the Dog Sweeps, yes, people will go to theater and see it. Um, but much more than we'll watch it at home. Uh, Oscars are like they're, they're like Super Bowl commercials to me now. I don't really need to see them. I'll just, I can watch them next day on YouTube, which is yeah, well, maybe exactly. what will happen. Exactly. Yeah. Just watch the highlights. We like to watch them because we like to make fun of what people are wearing. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> that, that's a tradition that goes way back to when uh, my wife, Sarita Zekas, um, was a gossip columnist. Right, right. So we both covered them back in the day. So it's we nice to have a tradition. Happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that's well, the only um, reason, because I'm just not invested anymore. I, I know I know what you mean. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, nice people, talking to you. In my stand-up days, people often said this to me, and and I'm going to say this to you. Uh, I'm glad you kept your day job. <laughs> Thank you. Because you did tremendous, tremendous with that day job, and you were funny too. You were funny as a stand-up. I enjoyed you. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, sir. All right, uh, Rob Salem is a TV and movie critic now, a professor um, in that field of uh, especially of television. Uh, for many years, as he just alluded to, he did that job of TV and movie critic for the Toronto Star. In our remaining few minutes, if you want to let me know what I got to watch, what you got to see, uh, let me know. We'll give you the phone numbers and uh, we'll wrap up Kitchener today in just a few moments. Welcome back. It's Larry Fedorik with your guest hosting in the last few minutes of Kitchener today for your Monday. I want to thank you for taking a few minutes to be part of the show today and for inviting me into your radio or your streaming speakers uh, for the show today. And uh, before I forget, thank you to Brittany for the, producing the program today and to uh, Jordan for all the tech help today in getting me through this. Uh, thank you to our guests, including our last guest, Rob Salem, as we talked uh, Oscars. And I guess I got a few to catch up on. I did see being the Ricardos. And just because I was into this uh, podcast about Lucille Ball, and I found it so interesting, and I thought, oh, a movie about them. Let's see what that's like. And it wasn't that bad. I mean, Javier Bardem, Oscar, I don't think so. He's fine and all. I just, I don't know about an Oscar. Uh, what are you watching? Here's Tom joining the show. Hello, Tom. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Uh, well, you see a lot of the unexpected. I'm, I'm looking forward to the uh, Matrix, the, the next one coming up. And I'd like to see also the new Batman apparently, uh, you know, made a half a billion. Now, the big surprise is uh, 
Spider-Man, No Way Home. Nobody expected that. Right, right, right. So there are a lot of these uh, action movies. As long as they have a content of a, a relationship, because otherwise if it's just action, you might as well watch a cartoon. So, Right. Uh, anyway, right. I grew up on a lot of, I had all the comics, uh, Batman, Superman, the Marvel ones when I grew up uh, in British Columbia. It was, so I know all of them behind. Anyway, thanks very much. Thank you for the call, Tom. I appreciate Thank it. You. Interesting in that I'm, I'm interested in the Matrix more so than the superheroes. I've interviewed the guy, and boy, I'm blanking on his name. I'm embarrassed. But he's the guy who owns the Batman franchise. And I, when he had a book out, uh, when he put his book out initially, I interviewed him one of the one of the great interviews I've ever done because, not I, I've done, but the great chats I've ever had. He was amazing. Uh, and Tom reminded me of it because this guy, as a kid, grew up having all the comic books. And his parents saved them, unlike the story, the classic story. My mother threw out the original Superman. It's worth today a million. And, and his, his parents actually saved all his comic books. As a matter of fact, he donated them to a university for, you know, c- comic studies and all these kinds of things. So as he uh, grew up, he was disappointed in the Batman TV show because that was a comedy, if you recall, and kind of a satire, goofy show. And he understood Batman was the Dark Knight. So as he grew up and became a lawyer and had some success, he put some money together. And um, I'll make the story short. He bought the Batman franchise, basically. And he bought it for an amount where the guy even said to him, "Nobody wants, nobody's interested in Batman. So you're wasting your money. I feel bad charging you. And he's like, no, I'm going to do this. And and then he he hired um, Michael Keaton and um, others. And, well, the rest, as they say, is history. Well, superhero movies and others that we'll see on the Oscars on uh, Monday. Enjoyed uh, guest hosting Kitchener today on City News 570. I'm Larry Fedorik. We'll talk soon.